Welcome to PCC this morning. If it's your first time with us or if uh, you've been here many times, we're really glad that you've chosen to be here today. I- I'm excited for today. Today is a, is a fun day. It's a day that we get to kick off a, a short little three-week series uh, that we've titled New Life. And it's an opportunity for us to dive into the scriptures and, and to just take a look at some various things there that, that hopefully will speak to us uh, in this time and season. I'd like to invite our uh, fifth grade and under students, if you want to head to the back of the auditorium, uh, the teachers will be back there to receive you and take you out to class. And as they make their way out, I have this question for the rest of us, and, and, and it's this question that I'd like you to just think about for a second. Have you ever thought about what it would be like to be new? I mean, to really be new, uh, to, to be a new person, to be able to reinvent yourself, to do that, you know, extreme makeover thing, but not from the outside in, but from the inside out, to be completely new, to be a completely new person, everything about you becoming new. What would that look like? What would that feel like? Any idea? What, what would you see and hear and taste and, and touch and, and feel? What, what would it be like? Now, I realize that may be a little difficult to kind of wrap your brain around. Like, well, I don't, yeah, that's not even possible. How, how do you think about that? How, how do you do that? Um, but we're all probably familiar with this statement, right? Out with the old and in with the new. So new is going to be a word I'm going to ask you to say often today. So anytime it comes up, you just going to throw that out there, all right? So out with the old, in with the new. We all know what new stuff is like, right? I mean, we enjoy new stuff, correct? New stuff is, is fun. New stuff is, is exciting. It's, it's exhilarating even. I mean, we all enjoy it. How, how about this? How many of you like the smell, that new car smell, right? Yeah. You can buy this spray now. You don't have to buy a new car. Just buy this spray, and you can have a, 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 the new car smell uh, all the time in, in your vehicle. Um, or how about this? The feel of a crisp new $1 bill, or maybe $10, $20, $100, whatever you are used to. $1 bill, right? You know, you know the feel uh, of that. Or how about this? Uh, the feel of a new shirt, or the, the latest device, the, the speed and the clarity of it. Not to mention uh, things like a new book that you read and it opens your eyes to a new perspective. A new song that you hear and you listen to it again and again and again. A new dish to eat, a new relationship or friendship, a new experience, a new opportunity, a new activity, a new home, a new town, a new school, a new job. All these new things. We have all experienced new in some form or fashion in our life. And, and there's something within us that is just drawn to new things, because new is exciting. And new can also be somewhat scary. It can be challenging, because new sometimes is different. In fact, one could argue that new is hardwired into us. We know that our brain responds to new stimuli, which is how we learn, thus allowing us to grow and to create, to build upon what we've learned previously, and it equips us to create new things as well. But what about you becoming new what about you becoming a new person if you're familiar with the scriptures one that may be coming to your mind is second corinthians chapter 5 verse 17 which says if anyone is in christ they are a new creation the old is gone the new is here but what does this mean how do we see this happen where do we see this happen well today and for the next couple of weeks we're going to be looking at the scriptures to explore how God made people new. He gave them a new name, a new identity, a new purpose. 
And the reason we're going to look at this is because as we move into kind of this you know, new season of life in the church, we have uh, this occasion for new experiences and new opportunities. I mean, summer is over, fall is new, new school years are upon us, all these different things that are, that are new and happening. And, and that's why it's, it's kind of appropriate for us to look at this. But it, it's not just planning you know, new events and new activities and new small groups or, or a new sermon series. All those things that are happening, we're doing those. But it's to challenge us individually and as a community of believers to, to enter into this new life that God is calling us to experience, the, the new life he desires for us to experience. And I would contend that when we are willing to become new, when we can help people discover and experience that life-changing love of Christ, that that's when we experience the new that, that God is talking about. And we're going to flesh that out over the next few weeks. So as we jump into the scripture today, I want to invite you to grab your Bible, if you would, and turn to Genesis chapter 12. Genesis is the first book of the Old Testament. Uh, and we're going to look at a portion of the life of Abram, who we know better as Abraham. It's what we, we know how to call him more. But, but in this part of his life, he's known as Abram. Leading up to chapter 12, uh, a little bit of the context, we have God has made a covenant with Noah after the flood that he wouldn't flood the earth again, followed by these genealogies and the story of the, of the Tower of Babel. And, and then we get into more genealogies, and then we come to this guy by the name of Terah. Now, there's not a lot we know about Terah except he had three sons. And one of these three sons happened to be Abram. All right? And in chapter 12, we see the Lord speak to Abram. And I want to look at what the Lord says to Abram. Look, look with me at Genesis chapter 12, beginning in verse 1. The Lord had said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. Now, there are a lot of things packed into that calling uh, of Abram, and there's lots of things we could talk about in that. We could focus on the nature of the call itself or the implications uh, for his family, the complete faith and trust and, and, and belief in the part of Abram that it truly was the Lord who had called him and not just you know, something he'd eaten wrong the night before, right? Uh, there's this, this idea of, that I think about in things like this is, how did the Lord sound? Have you ever thought about that? If the Lord were to speak to you, what voice would he have? How would, it, how would it happen? What would it look like? What would it feel like? How did Abram know it was the Lord? There's all those things that we could talk about. But for our time here this morning, I want to explore this calling of Abram through the lens of the new life to which he was called. And then circle back and look at some implications for our lives still today. So the first thing that we see in this calling of Abram was he had to be willing to do three things. The first thing he had to be willing to do is he had to be willing to leave something behind. He had to be willing to leave something behind. There's a song that you might be familiar with called Closing Time by the group Simisonic. Anybody know that song? There you go. In just a minute, you're going to really hate me because it's going to be going through your head because one of the lines in that song contains the lyric, every new beginning comes from some other beginning's end, right? And you're going, Right? You've got that going through your head. And that is so true in the case of Abram. Look at what had to end. Look at what he had to leave behind. The Lord told Abram to leave behind three things. And these, in my opinion, are not small things that he was told to leave behind. He was told to leave behind his country, his people, and his father's household. 
his country, his people, and his father's household. I, I want to touch on each of those real quick. Uh, first, leave your country. Abram's country at this time was in the land that we would know as Iraq today. It's a place that was full of trade and activity. Uh, the, the region in the area around the Tigris and Euphrates rivers, it's not only drew people and, and commerce, but it was also a, an area that was very beneficial for the carrying of sheep and cattle and other forms of livestock. So it was, it was a very good place to be. It's where you wanted to be. And God tells Abram, leave. Leave this kind of prime location there where things are going well. Leave the land that you know for this distant promised land. So I often ask the question in this case, so why did he have to leave, right? Was God not able to do what he wanted to do with Abram in that part of the country? It's a commonly held belief that in this region it was full of idolatry. People worshiped the sun, the moon, the stars, and all other kinds of idols. And Abram is called to leave the land full of idolatry to relocate to a land that was intended for him where he could worship the Lord and the Lord alone. Now there's a a lot of speculation as to the reasons why uh, God asked Abram to leave his country. And without going into all those different theories, I just want to share one. I I think I agree with Greg Laurie who wrote uh, in one of his devotions, God knew that that for Abraham to stay in his country with his family, would be detrimental to his spiritual growth. He knew that what Abram needed to do was leave. Even though it may have been easier for him to stay, he knew that what he needed to do was leave. God knew that he needed that fresh start, a a new life. And it started with a new location, a new country, a new home. Abram was also called to leave his people. And while uh, on the surface level that may sound very similar to, you know, leaving your, your country, it's significant because God called him to leave his people. And in so doing, God was essentially calling him to change his identity. So much of the culture, what people did and how they lived, and especially how they were viewed by the other people in the region, were based on the people they were surrounded by, as well as those that they were related to. So by calling Abram to leave his people, essentially God is calling him to trade this group of people that he knows for another group of people that God would give him. And this nation This group of people would be turned into a nation, a great nation. He was calling him to leave the safety and the security of the only place he knew and the only people he knew to venture out to trust God and to be a part of something new. It also included this call for Abraham to leave his father's household. This would emphasize the idea of of breaking away from the thoughts, the ideas, uh, the beliefs, and even the religions that were held by Abram's family. Uh, Leaving your family in this time in history and in culture was so very different than what we're familiar with here today. Uh, In our society, uh, when kids start to get older, what do they want to do? I mean, they want to leave, right? And as parents, sometimes you're like, yeah, we we want you to leave, right? We have this idea of this mindset of let's get out on our own, let's do our own thing, Uh, let's, let's be independent. And yet, In this culture, and still in many cultures still today, a household often contains multiple generations. It was not uncommon for someone to be born, live their entire life, and die in the same location, the same house. To leave your family would have caused other people to take notice. It would have been different to to recognize that something different was taking place. And in the case of Abram, that something meant a new beginning. Part of that new beginning was that Abram uh, no longer worshipped the idols of his father, the the idols of his father's household, but instead 
he chose to worship the Lord. And in order to do that, he had to break away from his father's household. There's a modern midrash written by Rabbi Robert B. Barr, which tells the story that Abram, as he left his father's household to follow the Lord to the land that was promised, that he went into his father's area and he destroyed all the idols that the family had been worshiping. The Midrash says he vowed to never allow the idols of his past to be his security for the future. And this call to leave those things behind, and when we look at it, we begin to see the picture of the new life that God was calling Abraham to. He was becoming a new man, a new nation. He would receive a new name, a new blessing, and a new promise. And for this to happen, not only did he have to leave something behind, but he also needed to be willing to make a change. Leave something behind and make a change. One of the things we learn from the account of Abram is when he left his country, he took a lot of stuff with him, right? If you read it, you see that the text tells us he took all with him that was his, okay? Of course, he took his wife, but he also took his nephew Lot and all their possessions and all the people they had accumulated. This would have been all the sheep and cattle and livestock of all kinds, all the people to watch over the animals and all the shepherds that would have had to take care of that, as well as the people who would have prepared food and helped set up and tear down the tents. All the things you would need for a family road trip in this time in history, right? Just, just think about that. I mean, imagine it's a little bit like your family or my family when we're getting ready to pack the car and go on a vacation. We want to get away from it all, right? But then we take it all with us. That's just, that's just what we do. Abraham, Abram, he, he left everything, but really he took a lot of stuff with him. And as he left and he did his thing for a while, things seemed to go really well for him. The text tells us that he continued to acquire uh, and accumulate livestock and people and possessions. And it came to the point where it, it was too much and, and they had to make a change. And this came in the form of a change in their relationship with his nephew, Lot. In chapter 13 of Genesis, we see how Abram says to Lot, Is not the whole land before you? Let's part company. If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. Right? He said, let's, let's we'll just do this differently. And so they made a change. They changed in the agreement. They changed the structure. They changed of action. They, they changed the plan. They did something different in order to improve the situation while Abram remained true to the calling that he'd received from the Lord. And that brings us to the third thing that we see in this calling and the new life that Abram received, that Abram needed, needed to be willing to trust in the Lord's promise. After Abram left his country, his people, and his father's household, and even as he parted ways with his nephew Lot, one thing remained the same. Abram was still unable to have a child with his wife Sarah. If you go back to chapter 12, verse 2, and we'll remind it of what it says, it says, God says to Abram, I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. So, how is this possible? How, how does this happen? This, this whole concept, how does it happen? Well, the only way this can happen, the only way Abram can become a, a great nation is if he has a child, specifically a son, someone to carry on the family lineage. And from Abram's point of view, it's just not happening, right? So we arrive at Genesis chapter 15, and the Lord once again speaks to Abram, and this is what it says. In, in the vision, the Lord says to him, do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. 
which sounds great, doesn't it? I mean, if the Lord's going to tell you anything, those would be some great words to tell you, right? I am your shield, your very great reward. But then we, we see Abram hear this, but then he responds to the Lord that, in a way, makes a lot of sense to me. He says, O sovereign Lord, what can you give me because I remain childless? You've given me no children, so a servant in my household will become my heir. Can you wrap your brain around where Abram is at this point? God is saying one thing. Hey, Abram, I'm your shield. I'm your reward. I'm going to make you into this great nation. And Abram's like, God, uh, yes, sure, but I have no son. I I have no heir. How is this going to happen? I I left everything to follow you. I I left my country. I I left my father's household. I left the people I, I know. I left them behind. I'm no longer worshiping those idols. I parted company with my nephew Lot, who who I believe he saw as a son. And he says, God, you promised, but I just don't see this happening. And I would suggest that that's one of the lessons that we can learn from this call of Abram. That the Lord's commands and invitations are rarely accompanied by thorough explanations. But they do contain promises. God doesn't always explain himself to our satisfaction, does he? He certainly doesn't seem to. And yet, as we walk in relationship with him, and even when we stumble and we fall and we question and we doubt, God remains true to his promises. God has a plan to fulfill the promises to you and to me and even to Abram as he is struggling with how this is going to be possible. And in this moment, God greets Abram right where he is. And he does something that I think is so beautiful. He takes him outside and he tells Abram to look up. Look up. Now, I don't want to read too much into this text or make too big a deal out of this, but, but as I was reading through this, this really, really, really hit me and, and hit me uh, hard. When, I, when I'm down and when I'm frustrated and when I'm disappointed with God, when, when I'm wondering why God is doing what he is doing, often what I need is a change of perspective. And, and this may be true for you as well, but, but I find that when I'm down, I find myself you know, looking at the top of my shoes, right? Not literally, it's not like I'm doing this, but you just, you're just looking down. It's hard to look up, it's hard to pick your head up and look around. It's hard to see what God is doing around you because often you find yourself just focusing on surviving, getting through the day, taking the next step, and if you do that, you feel like you've accomplished something. And Abram's having one of those moments He's in his tent, and he's lamenting that he has no children. And the Lord meets him right where he is. And he says, I want to help you change your perspective. Go outside. I want to show you something. He says, look up. Look up at the heavens and count the stars. If indeed you can count them, so shall your offspring be. Now, I want you to know that my family and I, we love living here in New Jersey. We, we love being in this area and all the things that it has to offer to us. We love the people here. We love the opportunities and, and the many different uh, people from all the different cultures and, and, and thoughts and ideas and faith and all those things. But one of the things that uh, where I grew up on the farm in Missouri holds in high, way high over this area is its view of the night sky. 
There is just something about being on the rolling plains out in the middle of nowhere, and you look up at the stars. There were nights on the farm that it was so dark that you literally could not see your hand in front of your face. There were nights that it was so bright, the moon was shining so bright that you did not need any light other than the light of the moon to see across the pasture. And those nights when the moon would disappear and the sky would be clear and you could look up and just see the brilliance of the sky. You could see the Milky Way in all its glory. You could make a wish on a shooting star. It was glorious. It is glorious. It's one of those things that... That if you've ever seen that, you can close your eyes and you can go there in your mind's eye. And and when you see that, it just reminds you of how great and how amazing and how glorious God is. How how big He is and how vast His power is. And and we see what He is doing and we just see what He has done. And it has the ability to change our perspective. And for Abram, God said to him, count them. Go ahead, try. Try to count the number of stars in the sky. I am the Lord. I'm the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land. And as numerous as the stars in the sky, so shall your offspring be. God didn't tell Abram exactly how it was going to happen. He just said, I promise you, Abram, this is going to happen. And Abram believed and it was credited to him as righteousness. He had a new life, the life that God had promised him that he would have. He trusted. He believed. And God was faithful to his promises. And as, as you explore how Abram saw God working in his life, you might expect that from this point forward in the story, after having this encounter with God and going, oh, wow, the stars of the sky, everything would be good from this point forward for Abraham and his family, right? That everything went swimmingly? Not exactly, right? If you know the story uh, of, of Abram, uh, we're not going to go too, di- too deep into it, but, but you know that it was not always easy and it really was not always pretty. Abram didn't always get it right. He took matters into his own hands. He became impatient with God. He made poor choices, and yet God remained true to the covenant he'd made with Abram. A covenant that said, I will fulfill my promises to you, even if you don't trust me, even if you don't believe in me, even if you take matters into your own hands, even if you make poor choices, I will fulfill my promises to you. And God did fulfill his promises to Abram. 25 years after God called him to leave his country, to leave his people, and to leave his father's household, a child was born to Abraham and Sarah. His name was changed. He was given a son named Isaac. When Abraham was 100 and Sarah was 90, they gave birth to a son, new life from old, a new beginning for a new nation. And as I read through this story of Abraham, uh, I couldn't help but think about how God is still calling to our lives today. You see, Abram was just a a, a normal guy. He was living his life. He he was working. He was married. He was probably participating in, you know, all those family events and activities with friends and and all those things. And, And life was fine. Things were going fine. As one commentary said, Abram was a mere nobody. He was just another nameless face in the crowd of humanity. His past was one of obscurity. But all that changed when he was called by the Lord. He had the opportunity for a new life, a new life that he received as he was willing to respond to the call of the Lord. And our tendency when we read a story like this from the Bible, 
is to say these things. Well, that's good for him, right? That's a good story for the Bible. That's maybe the way it happened back then, but it certainly doesn't happen that way now, and it certainly does not happen that way for me. And what's interesting is, if you you look through the Scriptures, you find that this call to Abram for a new life, it was not unique. Yes, the specifics of the call were unique to Abram, but the call to a new life was not. Not only did, did God offer this to Abram, Consider Moses, if you want to just kind of walk through the scriptures. Moses was a guy who had a very interesting backstory, and God met him as he was tending his father-in-law's sheep, and God called him and said, I want you to leave the life you know and live this new life. Samuel, he was a boy who was sleeping on his bed when God called him. Mary received word that she was highly favored among women. Jesus called out to James and John and said, I will make you fishers of men. To Matthew, the tax collector, Jesus said, follow me. Saul was on the road to Damascus when he was called. And in each of these calls, we see the grace of God being poured out into the lives of people as they responded to the call and began living new lives in the Lord. And we see it happen still today. We see it happening all around us. We see it in a public scene, in, in a, on the public forum, where people like Christian Piccolini uh, renounced his ties and his involvement with the neo-Nazi movement and is now the co-founder of a group called Life After Hate. How does that happen? It happens because of the call of Christ, the call of God in someone's life. We see it happen in our own community when people, just like you and me, they, they see Jesus lived out They observe that there is something different about you or your family and they notice believers being involved in the community and they want to know what this life in Christ is all about. And then you or me or someone has the opportunity to share with them that call, that invitation that Jesus offers, the invitation to a new life, to experience his love, to experience a a new way of life and to leave the old behind, to, as the scriptures say, to throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and run with perseverance that race marked before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, who's the author and the perfecter of our faith. It causes us to make a change in our priorities and our thoughts and our desires and our goals and and our plans, to trust in His plans, to trust in His will, to trust in His word as we seek Him and as we respond to His call on our life each and every day. And here is one of the things that strikes me about his invitation. It's an invitation to enter into a covenant relationship with Jesus. And in doing so, we have a new life. A covenant where Jesus has not only said, I will even if you do not, but a covenant where Jesus says, I already have. I've already done this for you. And it's a covenant of my love, says Jesus, for you. That the work has been done and we're invited to receive him. And to accept him as the one who promised to never leave us and never forsake us. To, as a community of believers, to be bound together in unity as we strive to not only help people discover and experience the life-changing love of Christ, but to allow ourselves to discover and experience his love as well. To grow together. To grow in our faith. To engage the world around us. To allow his love to give us new life to leave behind the old way of life that leads to destruction, to make a change in what we are doing and how we live, and to trust in the promises of his love. In the Old Testament scriptures, we read how time and time and time again, this amazing story 
of God fulfilling his covenant promise to Israel. How God continued to bless Abram, who became Abraham and his descendants. And how he made them great. How from generation to generation to generation, the promises remained true. And through Abraham's offspring, we received Jesus. And through the fulfillment of the promise of Jesus, we have life. Not just life eternal someday, but life right here. Life right now. And through the life of Jesus, this new covenant is established. And Jesus said, I I want you to enter into this covenant. And I want you to remember this covenant. And as a way to help us remember the covenant of love that he established with us, he gave us common elements, simple things that we could take hold of and we could participate in. He, he took bread and he said, this is my body. He took juice and he said, this is my blood. And he said, I want you to take this bread and I want you to eat it. And as you do, I want you to remember me. He said, I want you to take this juice and as you drink it, I want you to remember me. I want you to remember this new covenant. So take it, eat and drink. And every time we gather together, we participate in remembering the covenant. We participate in celebrating the covenant that he's made with us. In just a moment, the ushers are gonna pass uh, two trays, one containing bread, which represents his body, the other containing juice, which represents his blood. And as they do that, we have the opportunity to partake of those things, to take of those elements, to remember the covenant of love that Jesus established with us. And in doing so, we remember how we've been called to a new life, a new beginning. And it's a calling each and every one of us can respond to each and every day. It's a call as we remember and as we celebrate. We can do that through communion to remember his covenant, to celebrate the love, and to receive what he's offering us in new life each and every day. I'm going to pray. Then I'm going to ask the ushers to pass the trays. You partake. You celebrate. You remember. Let's celebrate what God has done for us through his son, Jesus. Father God, thank you. Thank you for this opportunity. Opportunity to to hear from your word, an opportunity to, to remember and to celebrate your covenant the covenant of love that you established. God, we thank you that through your son, you gave us these simple elements, these simple things to celebrate something that's so amazing, more than we could ever hope or dream or imagine. Father, we, we come before you now thanking you for your love, the love you demonstrated for us. Help us to focus in on you and on you alone. We love you, Father. We praise you. In your son's name, amen.